Welcome to the Fearless Vampire Podcast. I'm on a heartfelt mission through the art of conversation and storytelling to inspire women to pursue their creative entrepreneurial journey with reckless abandon. I'm your host, Taylor, a six-figure photographer and business coach based in Colorado. I'm a right brain mompreneur to two toddler boys, devoted deep conversation holder, and your personal alpaca cuddle liaison. My hope is that you leave our time together feeling empowered and energized to build your dream life. Learn more at fearlessvampire.com. If you've ever been to the charming town of Salida, Colorado, which we live just outside of, then there's a very good chance you stumbled into one of my guests and friends' multiple restaurants. Sarah Gartsman is a mom, pastry chef, entrepreneur, restaurant owner, has founded three restaurants that she currently owns and operates, two of them. She just launched a retail baking mix kit called Hey Sweetie, which is a spinoff of one of the hottest restaurants in our small town of Salida, Colorado. Like I said, she's a mom, she's a wife, and she and her husband actually work together running these businesses, parent together, do all the things together. And I am so honored and thrilled that y'all get to meet her today. And we are sitting in her living room in Salida, getting all cozy with some tea. Sarah, thank you for being here. Oh my gosh, it is my pleasure. I'm so happy to be here with you. Yay. This is such a gift. Oh, I know. This is actually only the second episode that I've ever recorded in person. (laughs) Everything Everything else has been virtual. So I'm really excited that this gets to happen in real life and in real time. And we can cheers together. Thanks for coming over. Yeah. So how did you... I have 150 questions about how you ended up opening a restaurant in Salida, but how did you and Rob end up here specifically? So Rob and I are high school sweethearts, and we've known each other since probably about middle school, but we started dating at the end of high school, and I followed him out to Colorado after high school. You're from Chicago? We're from Chicago. Okay, that's right. And um, yeah, after some traveling and some time apart, I moved into his dorm room with him and we somehow created a crazy little life on the front range together for about 10 years. And he is a big time mountain biker and would come up to Salida or come down to Salida, I guess, to ride bikes with his friends, his and like bro out together. (laughs) And... Um, he kind of stumbled into town one time and was like, man, my girlfriend would love it here. It's so cute and it's so charming. And everybody says hi to each other on the street. And we started coming up here and having like Thanksgivings where we wouldn't go home to see our families. We'd just come up here and we'd stay in a little cabin in Maysville. And we kind of get out of the whole family thing and just be able to focus on each other and have a like a getaway just us and it was a really special yeah and we fell in love with Salida. when was that what year this was, that? was let's see we opened sweeties in 2012 we also got married in 2012 so this was probably 2009 2010 oh. when we first started coming up here so that was really before Salida was on the map i feel it was this for la- sure. This last Christmas, we, you were probably at the Christmas parade, right? Oh yeah. I Mike was like, I swear, somebody wrote an article like on the front range, uh-huh. calling this town like the next Hallmark movie, 
setting because it was flooded. Like I've never seen so many a people Hallmark here. movie. It it's is the cutest, sweetest thing of all time. It is so sweet. But yeah, we were like to watch it on the sidewalk. Right. Yeah. It was crazy. So so that was before Salida was really on the map that yes. you guys started coming. Here. I remember we told our friends we were going to Salida and it was like our new favorite little town. And they were like looked at us just puzzled like where is Salida? <laughs> Sedalia? So, yeah, is that Sedalia? what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah. Which I didn't even know where that was right. either. Yeah. And yeah, we just fell in love with it. And we saw so much potential in the town. We saw this like idyllic, charming little life that we could make here. We just weren't exactly sure how to do it. And actually, after the Christmas parade one year, we were walking down. F Street, and there was a big sign in the old Sweeties, wasn't Sweeties then, it was called the Downtown Bakery, that said the business was for sale. And Rob was like, Sarah, you should buy that. Because, <laughs> you know, you'll need a job when we move here. <laughs> and I, He's like, own a big, giant bike company. And he had lots of big dreams. He had just finished business school. And he was like, well, you're going to need to get a job. So you should just buy that bakery. So were you into baking before? Yeah. Before you so moved I here? What did it look have, like on the front range for you? Yeah. So I worked at, I graduated from culinary school in Boulder mm-hmm. in 2005. And I'd always worked in restaurants, kitchens, um, and I taught home cook baking classes. I don't think I knew you, that, that, that you at, went to school in Boulder. Yeah, wow. I went to the culinary school of the Rockies. It's not there anymore. It was acquired by the culinary, or the, or the the Escoffier School of Culinary Ooh, Arts. So that's a it was, fun name. It, yeah, you know, one of those for-profit education changes, yeah. which is super cool. Um, it, but it changed, like, the culture of the mm-hmm. culinary school, so it's a lot more acc- accreditation. And, like, you had to meet all these standards <sighs> yeah. and rules. And so the mm-hmm. school definitely changed after that. It was a small independent school when I went, and it was really great, and the culture was amazing. That's and so I learned cool. a ton. And yeah. then I ended up staying and working there for a while, wow. and I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after the school was acquired, I ended up moving on. So what was the inspiration for Sweeties? One, how did you come up with the name? Because I love the name, and it's still Sweeties. But, it's and still we'll ta- Sweeties. We'll get more into like how you kind of grew out of that space, but – what what inspired Sweeties? And for those of you who've never been, there's like a million sandwich options. I mean, there's just so there's salads, there's rat, there's and it's like the best food in Salida. So Thank how you. like what was the inspiration for Sweeties specifically? So we wanted to take this business model and this underachieving business that we were buying and just kind of level it up a little bit. And we wanted to make it our own. So we wanted super comfort food sandwiches, like the best giantest baked goods, big giant cookies that were like soft in the middle that you just kind of hand over Mm. the counter. You know, you can like smell them in the jar. We wanted everything to be as homey and like professional at the same time. So it took us a while to figure out how that was going to be possible because homey and professional kind of clash. Yeah. <laughs> so what were some of the biggest challenges? Because there's already very, um, I think, expected challenges when you open a restaurant. But mm-hmm. what were some of the biggest things that came up that you guys were not expecting? You know, 
we didn't, we knew that we were hard workers and that we could do anything, but I think we had no idea that it, in the beginning at least, like it was going to turn into a 24 hour business. Like we'd have to bake all night just to get ready to open at 7.30 in the morning. In the beginning, we made breakfast at Sweetie's. Wow. And we ended up taking that out a few years later, but, and just concentrating on the sandwich shop part, which was really the most profitable part. So we had no idea that we were never going to actually get to enjoy the sweet little town we moved Mm. to because we just worked 24 hours a day. And if we weren't working we were just trying to sleep. Like it was so exhausting. So I don't think we were quite prepared for the amount of human power that it took to run (laughs) everything. Um, So that was hard. We had no idea how to manage employees in the beginning. We started with one employee at Sweeties. We now between our two businesses have almost 40 employees. That's amazing. We had no idea how to do anything. Pretty much everything was like we were trying it in real time and just trying to see if it worked. All of the recipes we were like trying on the fly. And then if they came out good, we'd write them down. And that's that's now what you're eating when you come to Sweeties. So it was all, it was really great. And I love, I still love, that's my favorite part is the creative. I love waking up in the morning and being like, Ooh, what are we out of? What am I going to bake today? What am I feeling like? What's in season? That's the best part of the job. Is it baking with the the, seasons? Yeah. Oh, how cool. So, and getting inspired about what's trendy right Mm -hmm. now. Sometimes there's like really weird, wacky baking trends. Sometimes they're really cool. Sometimes they're really fun. Sometimes they're just outrageous, but I love trying all the things. And that's kind of what the biker and the baker turned into was that it turned into my like little culinary playground and we make desserts every week. We never make them again and they're only on the menu for three days and then we move on to something else. Yeah. So will you share a little bit about, so Sarah and her husband, Rob have sweeties, you have biker and baker, Mm -hmm. you have Hey Sweetie, sweetie. which is probably came out of demand of everybody loving your food and coming in to visit and not being able to take it home with them or only being able to take so much home on the plane. And then you guys also had opened Mo Burrito, which you have since sold, Mm -hmm. which I do want to hear about that process. But talk a little bit about the three different businesses. I'm sure it's like having three different, or I guess four businesses, because since you've opened four, we don't want to not include the fourth. But what... I'm sure it's like having four different kids. What are the personality traits of each of them? And what was the, what was the inspiration behind each of them? So Sweeties is really like our first child and our flagship restaurant. Everybody knows Sweeties. Everybody comes into Sweeties. Everybody meets there. And it's like, a sweet little gathering spot. It's my mom's favorite spot. When we we come in, she's like, can we please go to that sandwich place? (laughs) Yes, mom. (laughs) It just makes everybody happy. Um, Everything's homemade. In retrospect, that was not the smartest idea. And Oh, it's so hard. So I mean, we make like 400 make different. Yes. Yeah. So we make all the bread. Some A baker has to start between two and four in the morning just to make the bread. It all starts the day before. Mm-hmm. It takes two days to make a full um, batch of bread. 
But it's what makes you guys so unique. Totally. And the and sandwiches we make, are gargantuan. There's over 60 sandwiches on the menu yeah. and we make over 400 ingredients in-house. Oh my gosh. So it's wow. wild. I don't think I realized that. It's a lot. Yeah. And I think like looking back, we're like, why did we do that? We could have just like bought garlic aioli. Why did we need to make it ourselves? But then it is what makes everything so special. Um, so Sweeties is like our definitely flagship oldest child. We're super attached. It's always our first priority. Yeah. Mo Burrito was our second restaurant. And that came really out of what we felt like was necessity in the town. There was no, I'm going to use the word Chipotle style, yeah. kind of quick grab and go, build your own healthy, homemade, fast, casual restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, for that type of cuisine in town. And we are big time Tex-Mex, Mexican food lovers. And so we just took that as our inspiration. Well, and you, and guys, seem, with it. you guys seem to know the people who visit here well too, because there's there, there are a lot of adventurers who they come in, they do a huge hike, they go bike, you know, the Monarch Crest and they're like, I need a lot of calories and I need it fast. Totally. That's so huge. that was, that was kind of our market that we wanted to tap into. Yeah. You've just come off the river. you came down off the off the trail and you're just starving and you yeah. need a margarita yeah margarita and then like it really it, it just helps it like realigns your whole life it does, once you have yeah. those two things again um and so that was our second baby and mo burrito we had the hardest time managing mo for some reason because the hours are really long there yeah. we would be open from 8 a.m until 8 p.m we needed a lot of staff mm-hmm. And it was a lot of cleaning, a lot of dishes. It, w- it wasn't super hard prep or cooking or technical, but we had a hard time finding the right fit of employees. Mm-hmm. And it took a lot of management and leadership um, from Rob and I. And it ended up turning into like Rob was just there all the time by no fault other than we had two children right around that time also. Yeah. And so he would be there and I would be home with the kids and they weren't even kids. They were babies. No. And um, we would just be trying to keep up with everything. And flash forward five years later, after we'd already opened another restaurant, we did the three restaurant shuffle for a really long time. Yeah, Our general manager approached us and was like, hey, what, what, what would it take to buy into this restaurant? And we had already really thought long and hard about letting it go. And this kind of materialized out of the blue. And it was an amazing thing for their family. It was an amazing thing for our family. We had to buy the building to make it work, which was a great investment mm-hmm. for us. And then we rented the building to to them and sold the business. So we were still very attached in the beginning for the first few years. Yeah. And just recently we sold the building to wow. them. So that was a so really huge accomplishment. Officially for let everyone. go. Mm-hmm. Wow. So with Biker and Baker, Biker and Baker opened I, I remember 20, when it, it was a 2017. Yeah. Cause I remember I was pregnant cause you, cause so biker and baker is closely related to sweeties. It's pastries, but it's also a wine bar mm-hmm. charcuterie. You guys have some really wonderful things and you're only open Thursday through Sunday, which yep. is amazing. Yep. So what was the inspiration behind that for like, uh, other than your creative endeavor of being able to make delicious and wonderful, which 
like sweeties, the cake slices are like way as much as a small child. I mean, it like the, the carrot cake weighs as much as it's like literally like an eight pound piece of carrot cake. It's, it's amazing. It's so disappointing when you get a small dessert. It though. is. I feel Nobody like so that. I rather just give you enough to have a second meal. Yeah, to take, take it home. Yeah. Then it not being enough. And I wanted it to be enough so that you can share it. Yeah, you guys are good at building food community. is the best thing ever. But the biker and the baker was first inspired because of the location, honestly. And that Sweetie's first location, the the first biker and baker location was right through the alley. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't a kitchen in there. But we because we were so close to Sweetie's, we could use that kitchen. I did not realize you and guys so used that kitchen. And so that's kind of how – and we'd walk everything through the alley. We didn't have – we had a, a dishwasher sinks and everything, but no oven in there, a refrigerator, wow. a mini freezer, like one that you get in your dorm room. Yeah. We had like no um, no real restaurant equipment. We'd get every – use all of those things at Sweetie's. That's so cool. I, I, I vaguely remember seeing people – but I didn't think anything we of it. We were just walking through the back doors oh all gosh, day. How it funny. was wild. That in was the that's very discreet. You did a good job with that. <laughs> so that was kind of well. It was that that lo- the location was available, and I had always wanted. Well, my first dream in the culinary world was to open a pickle shop. What? Like, Tell me about your back pickle in the shop. day. I just really wanted to pickle everything and like sell jars of pickles and all different kinds of things. And then my the jaws char- like dropped. The charcuterie oh trend became really fancy. Yeah. Rob and I had traveled to Europe and we were obsessed with the charcuterie and the bread. And we were like, we're already experts at meat and bread and cheese. Yeah. We already <laughs> do this. We could just like level up a little bit. And how cool would it be for a chef, a pastry chef to have the opportunity to do something new every week to never be wedded to any recipes or menus. And so that's kind of what we did. And then we built enough following that we could eventually expand. But so which, which you did, what Mm -hmm. was that process like? So you guys, so you used to have two separate buildings and now did you guys build that building? We did build the building. So we don't own the building. We did a tenant finish with our landlord, which was a huge learning experience. I can only imagine. (laughs) So below is Sweetie's, the sandwich Mm -hmm. shop. And then on the second story, you have Biker and Baker Mm -hmm. with a deck and Mm -hmm. everything. What was that? So that sounds terrifying. It is terrifying. So there's three stories. We wanted to put in a rooftop patio mm-hmm. and all of our kitchen for that services both restaurants is on the first floor. So it was a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, we learned a ton about how to build a restaurant from the ground up, how to not kill each other at work with our different <laughs> ideas. Oh and gosh. like, did, I think you know, the functionality of how everything works and fits Mm -hmm. together and the like strategic, the strategy that you need just to pull everything off is like insane. I can only imagine. And then I am like this all over the place, crazy ADD creative human that just wants to like put wallpaper on everything. Oh, I love the wallpaper. Not important, (laughs) but in my world, it's like the most important. So I think Rob and I do a really good job of delegating who kind of is in charge of which area of, or we did, which, which 
building processes that we both handled and got excited about. That's really cool. So that was good. And you can't put wallpaper on everything. So that was But the wallpaper you do have chosen (laughs) is amazing. But I mean, it adds to the experience. It does make the food taste. The food doesn't need to taste better. But when you're surrounded by beautiful scenery and wallpaper and colors, it totally changes your experience. It just puts you in a good mood. Like there's no reason for everything to be beige all the time and like – really minimal. I mean, I love the minimal thing. I'm, I'm you're in my house right now. I'm never going to be a minimal yeah. person <laughs> I love, at I love all. all the pictures and paintings. Um, and, uh, it's just heads. not my style. Yeah. And I think that I really had to learn to embrace my style and it's different than everybody else's. And I just have to wear it on my sleeve. When people are attracted to it. I mean, but it's amazing. But I think amazing. it makes people happy. It does. I mean, I hope so. It makes me happy. Yeah. Well, so that's what that's We're going to keep That's doing what it. matters. And most. I have to be there more than anybody else. So it's most important. How Make I yourself feel. happy. That's right. I love it. So Sarah, you've touched on this a couple of times about culture and managing a staff. What was the biggest obstacle? I mean, I'm sure there were a hundred, but right now, I mean, from what I've heard from you, you guys have an incredible culture between the restaurants and anytime we go in, everybody's kind, they're loving, they're compassionate, they are giving. I mean, I've never met somebody at any of your restaurants that I didn't like. So what, what's that vetting process like for you guys? And what, how do you... How do you start to build a culture in a restaurant? Because there's, I've worked in restaurants, granted it was like chilies. So there's, you know, it's a very different world, but there's, there's stigmas that come with working in restaurants and the, the community that you build and how, you know, connected you are. How do you guys, how do you manage that? All the personalities. Well, I think there's a few ways that we do it. The first way is that we, had a deal from the beginning that we were never going to be like the other restaurants and the be a part of that misogynist culture yeah. and like abusive and violent. I worked in kitchens. I was attacked and abused a number of times at my workplace mm-hmm. when I worked in kitchens. I'm sorry and, to hear that. You know, shit happens and people suck and we move on and Mm -hmm. hopefully do better with the shit that we were dealt with. Mm -hmm. Um, so I never wanted that to be a part of our life. And I honestly never would have worked in another kitchen because I didn't trust the work environment in them if we didn't open our own restaurant. So the first is that like, we really are rooted in kindness and, generosity and appreciativeness and we lead by example we're the first ones to get in there and do the dishes we'll sweep we'll run food we'll do whatever it takes to make everybody happy and our employees see that and that sets a great example for them that they can be hard workers too and we really believe in anybody I'll give anyone a chance Mm -hmm. honestly like you can have the worst background ever. And I will still give you another chance because sometimes I really genuinely believe that you just, some people maybe haven't had anyone to believe in them yet. And we will, we can empower anybody if they want to do the job. Mm -hmm. So I think people are pretty grateful to work with us at the end of the day. It's a pretty happy work environment. We dance and we sing and there's sometimes drama. We generally get over it. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that 
and a lot of different personality types. But and for the most part, we all make it work when we're there. It shows. I mean, really, Thank truly, you. whenever you go into any of your places and spaces, people are gen- genuinely happy and they seem grateful to be there. Good. So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I that appreciate it. Happy. So you, you and Rob, I want to touch on what it's like working together as a husband and wife. Cause Mike and I work together as a husband and wife and it's wonderful. It has perks. It keeps our marriage really interesting because there's different, <laughs> there's different pillars, right? Like there's different um, ways to be creative together as a couple. There's obviously the, the challenges that come with, but I like, I, I, I would love to hear what that's been like for you and Rob and also what it's been like for your kids to see the two of you working together and what that's been like as a family unit. I really love working with Rob. And I think that we work really well together. I think that we're really good at, I think why it works so well is that we're really good at respecting each other's things. Mm -hmm. We don't try to do the same thing. And that's really the best thing that we can do for each other is like, I am really good at the creative stuff and the recipe design and the colors and the how comfy the chairs are going to be <laughs> and, the and, wallpaper. and the wallpaper and the, <laughs> you know, and the, all the, how all the things taste in your mouth together. Yeah. And he is a really good at handling all of the business stuff. And he's really good at doing payroll and he's really good at fixing things when they break. And he's really good at managing humans and doing the HR thing. And so it works really well for us when we can just do our own thing together. Yeah. I think that's the best. When it runs smoothly, we're doing our thing together. I have no idea. I've actually never thought about what it's like for our kids to the, that they have to watch us do it all the time. They're very much a part of it. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine. I yeah. mean, they have no separation. For, mm-hmm. They know that on the Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays, they have to come check in at work with whoever's at home with them. They have to – they'll help. They run sandwiches. The other day – it was busy when the kids and I came in to, I don't know, make a list or do something at work. And Mabel and I both hopped on the sandwich line. Mabel started running sandwiches out. I was starting them. Rob was already there. And it was like super nice. We That's all so just cool. do it together. But I never thought about like if they like it or not. What do you want them to see? Like, What do you hope that – because your kids are – how old again? So Ozzy's almost eight mm-hmm. and Mabel's nine. So they're eight and nine. They're at an age where they're probably eventually going to start thinking about what they want to do, who they are. What do you hope that they take away from growing up with parents who are so passionate? Like passion is first and foremost. Yeah. You're so passionate about your work. You are working together and you're creating this, this freedom for them to pursue their own passions. What do you hope that they take away I hope that they feel confident enough to, to try whatever they want. Mm -hmm. Like I feel, I want them to have that deep sense of like security and confidence that they can go out into the world and try to do hard things and that they will be hard, but that they will be able to do them. That's amazing. And so I think they watch us do that all the time. They also watch me have a panic attack sometimes that things are great. too overwhelming yeah. or things are too hard or I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. I don't want to get out of bed today. 
they get to see their mom be human though. They do get to see a full human experience. Yeah. That's, you can't deprive your kids of that <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, sometimes I wish that I could, you know, they didn't have to see that, but that's, that's what this life is. Yeah. And we didn't have them to leave them out of any of it. Yeah. So they're kind of in it. It is harder for Ozzy. He is very much an introvert mm-hmm. and this is very much an extrovert business. Yeah. So Mabel totally thrives and loves the attention and he doesn't love it. And so it's a hard thing for me to grasp. Like, how do I get him involved without forcing him to do things that are too uncomfortable for him? Yeah. So that's hard to watch sometimes. And it's great that he knows that he can, he could probably do things that are uncomfortable at the same time later in life. Right. No, that's great. And thankfully there's a skate park across the street. Yeah. So he can always just go there. Always entertain. Not into it. That so you had touched on something earlier, Sarah, that you guys did not move to this valley to not be able to enjoy the life that's here. <laughs> How do you set up boundaries when you're running three businesses? And, and, and I do want to get more into, Hey, sweetie, uh-huh. but how do you, how do you set up boundaries around your time? And like you said, this isn't around the clock business. This mm-hmm. is not like, okay, I've clocked out. Like luckily you're not running it from your home. So you can at least come back to the sanctuary, but what, how do you even begin to set up boundaries? So when, when you're wearing all the hats. I've had all these different phases of how I feel about boundaries over the past yeah. <laughs> 11 years since we've been doing this. And there was a time when I thought, maybe if I just have really good boundaries, this will get easier. Like maybe if I turn off my phone or if I don't sleep with it in my room or if I create all these boundaries and keep all the things away that are hard for me, it'll get better. And what I learned was that it doesn't get better. Mm-hmm. And I actually am not in a position where boundaries are helpful for me. So I Ooh, think that's interesting. being able to accept that this is all just wrapped together and that this is what I signed up for is really helpful for me to remind me that I, I can't have boundaries in the same way as other people. Like yeah. I even like had talked to my therapist about it at one point a former therapist. And I said, she was like, well, you just need better boundaries like at work. And I said, how do you have boundaries when two people called in sick, you're making breakfast on the line on Sunday morning, there's a 45 minute wait, you're turning tables so quick, we're hustling. And she is telling me about this, like on another line cook that I'm standing four inches away from half the time, like on top of was telling me this really vulnerable thing about her personal life at the same time, how do I not listen to that? Like I have to ask her permission pretty much, even though this is my restaurant, we're all doing the same job. Like I have to say like, is it okay if I take a break to like go to the bathroom right now? How do you have boundaries in those moments? And she was like, well, you just, you know, don't ask personal things or. Oh my gosh. But that's how you develop the culture that you have. But. I'm never going to be that person Mm. that doesn't care and I'm always going to care about people. And there are certain things that I'm careful to like get into it with people about. But for the most part, I just can't have boundaries. I just have to accept that the oven is going to break at 2 a.m. and I'm going to have to go in and fix it or Mm -hmm. Rob is. And 
that's going to interrupt our sleep and our personal life. And the rest of the the next day is going to suck and it's going to be expensive. And all those things are tied together. So I can't have boundaries. I just let it all in. Yeah. What is your take then? Because I don't believe that there's such thing as a work-life balance. There is I think not. That's such we a don't have. Yeah. It's such a joke. I'm totally with you. Especially as an entrepreneur, like it, you get inspiration in the middle of the night. Yeah, like you, you, I have like dreams got... about the things that yeah. I'm gonna make. Yeah. So, what's your take on it then? If, there's, if there's no, work no balance. Life, there's no balance. I think you... I prioritize about what's the most important thing yeah. in the moment. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of go down the list during the day. Like sometimes my most important thing is taking a nap. Mm-hmm. Sometimes my most important thing is helping them do the dishes. It, you know, it just depends on the day and what the biggest crisis is. Have you read the, the book um, Essentialism by Greg McEwen? No. It's such a good book. It's such a good book. And it really, it helped me kind of start practicing this lack of work-life balance uh-huh. and just like, it's just a work-life dance. You just have to dance. But he gave this beautiful visualization of there being a vase on your table. And he said, you have like three to five big rocks that you got to put in there. And then there's little, there's smaller pebbles and then there's sand. And he said, if you start to fill it, what are you going to do? If you put the sand in and then the pebbles, there's not really many, there, there, there's not much room for those big rocks. But if you stack the rocks in first, then you focus on the pebbles, then the sand, everything's going to fall into place. And he said that the big rocks represent the three most important things of your day, whether it's rest, family, like going to your kid's recital, um, going out and being in nature, putting out fires, whatever those big rocks are, they have to go in first and they have to be your top priority. The smaller pebbles are the smaller things like, you know, eating a nutritious meal that meal, like that, that day, maybe like eating something that actually is going to nourish you or wh- whatever it is. But I just love that. And that, that visualization of if I start with all the BS stuff, which is the sand, there's not going to be room for anything else. And so how do you figure out your three, like most important pillars for that day? Is it the family schedule? Is it putting out fires? Like, is one of them always going to be fires like figuratively and literally? Yeah. Um, what is what are the three pillars look or three big stones look like for you that you have to fit in? Let's say today, like because obviously it'll change it'll, on a day to day basis. It'll change. I'm not exactly sure what the answer is, but I know that the more like the more plans I make, make it harder to yeah. figure out the pillars totally. during the day. Mm-hmm. I think that's been like a key thing for me, and maybe that's like the boundaries is like. Yes, I have trouble committing and making plans, but then I feel worse when I have to cancel them because something else is more important. So Mm -hmm. I think that being like present during the day and actually seeing where I'm needed and where my energy is most used effectively is the best thing that I can do for myself. And yes, generally that's like devoting time to my children and making sure that I have time to be a good leader at work, whatever that looks like. And making sure that our customers are happy. That's awesome. I think those are like my three most important things. Yeah. I mean, just today, like I'll do whatever it takes to make people happy. And maybe that's not always a good thing. And I realize that. But we have a, you know, a local regular customer who was 
sad that there weren't any peanut butter cookies baked this morning and he just really wanted one. And I just went in the kitchen and baked them and then dropped them off at his workplace. Oh, that's so sweet. But like, because it's like the most important, it feels like the most important thing to make the people happy because that makes me happy. Yeah. And it's not like a selfish thing. It just actually fulfills me. It fills your cup. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. Thanks for sharing yeah. that. I love I that you know do that, that, that too. Helpful, but no, it was yes. it was beautiful. Well, and it sounds like you've it sounds like you surrounded yourself with people who can support that, who can support your need to be flexible. And like, I mean, I think I, where we live, that's kind of a culture thing. I think if I like, can be honest with someone and tell them, like, look, I just can't do this. This thing <laughs> I that just can't do. Yeah. yeah, I just can't yeah. do this. It's not going to work out. I also can't make plans after 6 p.m. because I have to wake up at 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. to go bake all the bread. Some days, if they look at me funny, like they, they're they not worth my energy. Yeah. Ooh, they that's a good vetting process. Yeah. If they can't be like, okay, well, does three o'clock work instead? If they can't like understand and see that I have a really different lifestyle, mm-hmm. then we're just not going to be friends. And that's totally cool. Yeah. What do you guys do to enjoy this valley? What's your escape? You know, it used to be, so I had back surgery, a second back surgery nine months ago, and I used to trail run all the time. That was my favorite thing. And I'm still a little fearful of running, and so I haven't been back out and at it yet. But I've been really into just going and laying at the hot springs Mm -hmm. and, like, taking a nap in the sun. Yeah. Like a kitty cat. I am turning into a cat. I never thought that would be the case. You went from a dog to a kitty cat. That's right. Oh, I love it. So, you know, maybe that's just right now. And I'm going to try to go back to yoga at some point and be outside more. But for now, I'm happy just resting in the sun. That's perfect. I mean, you're going with the ebbs and flows of what life organically yes. wants for you. And everything is temporary. It so, is. You know, when I get sick of that, I'll just find something else to do. Absolutely. I might not know what it's going to be yeah. yet, but I'll do something. So what was the birth of Hey Sweetie? What what sparked that? So Hey Sweetie was really kind of like, it felt almost like a, like a culmination of putting together our favorite and most popular desserts that we make Mm -hmm. into baking kits. We've been really into educating people about good food and how to enjoy food since we've been in existence at Sweeties or since our restaurant started. So almost 11 years. You know, I remember when we first started making croissant and people were like, well, this is burned. And I was like, well, actually, that's how you make the flakes. Like, it's not burned. But yes, they make them different at Safeway. Yeah. (laughs) And that might have been all that people knew then. And so we were really into educating on people or educating people on what is good. And so this kind of feels like we're continuing that educational piece. We wanted people to learn how to be empowered and bake. And baking Mm -hmm. has given me so much confidence. I just wanted to share that with other people that might not have found their thing yet. That's so cool. So that's where it started. Was it the chicken before, like, what was the chicken before the egg? Was it a demand of people wanting to be able to bake it at home? Or was it your creativity that you were like, I'm going to, I'm going to try this and see if it, see if it takes off? Well, I think it was kind of a both, a both situation. Mm -hmm. We, Rob and I joined 
um, an accelerator program in 2022 at the beginning of the year. And we kind of had always thought about doing some type of retail packaging, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't until we were immersed in this like business class that we learned that we actually had what it takes to make a product and package it and manufacture it. And so we, we, it was kind of born in that program. That's so cool. And it was really nice to have the support of the community and like the economic development center. Like we had all these resources because we were in that program that really helped us kind of take it to the next level and motivate us to like get it done. So is educating something that you would ever consider doing or is that something on your radar that you would? Well, you know, I'm not, I don't know that I'm an educator, but I can add educational tidbits in passing. Yeah. But I'm never going to, like, teach a class. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> it comes too natural. I could you know? do, like, a 10-minute video maybe about how to cream butter. Yeah. But I don't know that I can do more than that. <laughs> that's fair. What would what would your advice be to somebody who who is close to your situation? They have a passion for baking and just creating in general. Yeah. But you guys opened – I mean, you guys opened four businesses in a small town. Mm-hmm. Like, that's challenging in and of itself. That has a very – or used to. I should say used <laughs> to have a very chill, slow yeah. season. And but a very limited no... reach, too. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's my advice? Or like three to like three steps or tips that you would encourage somebody to do to like harness their passion and despite where they're living, what challenges seem too daunting, what would you tell them? I think that they need to start by doing everything themselves. Hmm. They need to feel what it feels like to live their business every day. And they, you have to take on the persona of your business and like wear it. And that's how you create a culture. In my opinion, you are your brand. So whatever you're passionate about, you have to be willing to be so passionate that there's no separation or work-life balance. Like you have to be the one waking up every day and doing it and doing the hard work. No one else is going to do it. First of all, the same Second of all, no one is going to be able to create it like you if you're the passionate one. So, you know, don't hire people until you really need to. Do it all yourself until you are in a place where you feel like it's actually an asset to have help instead of handing it out. Right. That That, to me, it was really important. I needed to learn how to do everything myself. Rob needed to learn how to do everything himself so we could see what we actually did need help with once we made it to that point. And I think that you have to make sacrifices for your business. Like if you have to work, then you have to say no to having another life. Right. You have to really, you have to be a hundred percent committed right. to your business to make it work. At least in the beginning, there's no one that can do it like the, like a founder as passionately as you can. I mean, yeah. I and I, authentically I, too. Right, like right. if you screw up, say like look, I was trying to do it this way, but I screwed up and like take responsibility and then fix it and move on. Like no I one love, cares. I love seeing you guys at the restaurants when we're there. Like, <laughs> it's just it, your your passion bleeds through, but you're, you're right. I mean, there's certain 
sacrifices that you're willing to make when the passion is there. Like I, I hear you on the schedule because mm-hmm. for as a wedding photographer, I mean, our weekends were gone for 10 summers and that was okay at the beginning, you know, when we were like getting our footing and figuring it out and like wearing all the hats, like missing fourth of July parties and our and friends' it weddings. Sucks. It sucks, but we we wanted it so badly. And that's something that I, I know for me as a mentor and educator, if the passion's not there, like and I I, I have had students where like the passion just isn't there. They just mm-hmm. want to do it for X, Y, or Z. And I'm like, this is not this is not gonna happen. The you- the passion is not there. You're not willing to make these sacrifices, even for a short period of time, mm-hmm. to to make it really beautiful, a beautiful thing I that's working for you. completely agree. And that's not to say that that's a permanent thing. No. That's a, you start it and you do, you create something and then you hand it off to yeah. someone else and then you delegate small things and starting small, you know, like you don't have to give it all to someone or be bought out or create something giant, mm-hmm. but like, you know, just, it starts by like having one person help you in one way. And then you develop that trust in someone that you can trust someone else to do something else. And then all of a sudden you have a million employees, you know, it just, and that doesn't mean that you do any less because you have a million employees. Mm -hmm. It just means that you're like, get to enjoy a different phase of your business. That's not, you know, in another position or another role. So yeah, I think you have to really own it and do it and like make it your whole life. If you, want to be an entrepreneur there you have to be willing to sacrifice the boundaries yeah do you on top of being a partner a business owner a mom are there any projects on your horizon right now that you're like really giddy about you know it's funny we do have another project on our horizon that we are excited about my husband is really excited this is like his passion i'm so excited um (laughs) And I will say that I am passionate about it, but I think this he's more taking the lead on this His and baby. he's more invested. But we're really, uh, really have been become advocates for affordable housing. Oh my gosh, um, it's huge here because that's what this town needs. Yeah, and um, I mean, it's huge we can't run every yeah, but here, like but... we can't run our businesses if right. people can't afford to live. We can only pay people so much, and because sandwiches are not super expensive you know we're not raking it in yeah um and we pay everybody as decent of a wage as we can and I think everybody is well taken care of and we could do better so we recently purchased a huge lot of land and we are trying to build up an apartment complex oh my gosh I'm so proud of you guys (laughs) that's huge so yeah so I'm excited I also know nothing about this industry, and, and so I love I'm that you jump just in anyway. learning about it yeah. because I'm passionate about making our other businesses work, and yeah. I'm passionate about this community and everybody living their best life here. So, by proxy, I guess I'm passionate about this project. Yeah. I just don't, you know, know how to talk to architects or like surveyors. That's fair, but you know what? <laughs> That's does? why I have a partner, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's really excited about out. that stuff. That's so amazing. So. And I, I love that you you guys seem fearless. I know that there's fear, of course. There's <laughs> there's panic attacks. There's things that people aren't seeing behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. But I love that just because you don't know the first step, you guys are still jumping in. And you're still making a huge difference in our community, even in the businesses 
that from the outside look like a well-oiled <laughs> machine. Like it, it, it looks like it's, it's up and running and it's always been that way. And it, and it hasn't always been that way. Like there was that learning curve and there was like, we're still learning. Yeah. You're still learning, but I just commend you guys for Thank being you. able to put your, put your fears and maybe a little bit of apprehension off to the side and focus on the end goal and what you can accomplish. You know, I think that's my other piece of advice is like, don't think about the things too much. Just do them. Mm-hmm. You waste a lot of time thinking about if things are good ideas or if mm-hmm. they're going to work when you could just be using that energy just to get them just done. Do the and thing. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I generally feel like I go with my gut instinct on yeah. almost everything. And I just don't, I, if it feels right in the moment, I think there's a reason why. And yeah. I, usually go with that first instinct. Mike and I have had a lot of conversations about, cause whenever, when I started my photography business, I just quit the corporate world and was like, let's do it. I mean, I jumped in head first. I had no, I had nothing. I had no anything except a camera. And Mike is a researcher and he was like, I would have researched. And, and since we've been together, we've been together for um, going on 12 years. Since we've been together, we've opened, and started, I don't know, like five businesses. And Mike was like, I would have researched them all to death. And by the time I finished researching them, I wouldn't have had the energy anymore to start it. And so it's, it's interesting to see that there are people out there who will research it and research it and never do anything. And then there's people who are like, this is how I learn best, which unfortunately was not like matched in the public school system or even in college, but I just have to get in and do it. And I figure it out along the way. And I love that you guys are such a um, a pillar of success for what it looks like whenever you do just jump in and figure it out as you go. I mean, I'm Thank sure there's you. a lot of extra stress, but there's a lot of extra stress in learning everything, mm-hmm. figuring it all out and still never doing anything. Or even if you do do something with it, that doesn't necessarily mean that you like, you're certainly not going to eliminate all the stresses and you're not going to eliminate the curveballs and the things that come up that you still have to learn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, no one teaches you what it, what you have to do, like when your fire alarm goes off in the right. middle of a really crazy, busy service in a restaurant and you have to evacuate everyone oh and your staff. No one teaches you that. I, I can't even imagine. So like, it's just like that all the time. I feel like sometimes I always, I come back to that moment. I'm like, you just do it. Like yeah. you don't think about it. You just get everybody out. <laughs> yeah. Just like you, you just keep stick sticking with something. Everything is temporary. You mm-hmm. just have to make it through that moment so you can get on to the next one. Yeah. That's so cool. Do you have a favorite failure, even though failures aren't failures, they're just pointing you in a new direction. Do you have a favorite um, moment where you were like, I know where this is going to take me and I'm, it's going to suck for a while, but I know it's putting me in the right direction. You know, I generally like don't see myself as like a successful human being. I feel like I'm just made up of all the failures together. Like I'm not very, I know that people tell me that I seem very confident and you do excited, but I I'm literally hanging on to the last mistake that I made all the time. And I have a hard time letting those things go, which is probably another one of my pieces of advice that I should get back to. You should write a book. And I don't know that I can write a book. Um, Let's see. I think, oh, 
what was the last thing? You know, <laughs> what happened yesterday? Well, I know this yeah. morning I counted something wrong. Yeah. I have a giant order of 150 sandwiches. I think the failures really teach me. I don't know what the last one is because I have a lot of them. But I learn from the failures that I can make it through them. Mm-hmm. Like whatever it is. Whatever temporary. I screw up on, which is a lot all the time, you can just say sorry and try it again the next time. Yeah. Like it doesn't define – I just that was such a hard question for me, the failures, because I just feel like – even in the beginning at Sweeties, we used to make breakfast and I felt like, man, we're such a failure that we can't do all the things, that we have to focus on the thing that makes the most money and then everything else will fall into place after that. But like, it really wasn't a failure because it made us who we are now yeah. and it just wasn't the right thing in the right moment. And we did bring it back eventually, but having to change change things up and not be like attached to them yeah. – that's hard. And that makes me – anything I feel like I have to change makes me feel like I have failed in the moment. Mm-hmm. But really, it's just part of the process. It is. Absolutely. I did not answer that question. No, well. I, I love everything I don't you know. said. <laughs> like this, I just – yeah. I mean, I, I did – miscount the sandwiches this morning. <laughs> I thought they were all half sandwiches. So I thought it was like 70 sandwiches, but really Oops. it was 140. Oh my gosh. Which is a big oopsies in the scheme of things when we have to have all the meat weighed yeah. out and all the bread ready. But it was just another thing that I apologized for doing wrong. And then we figured it out and it was fine. So yeah, we all fail all the time. Yeah. And then you just write it. Yeah. And move on. And you move on and you and you know better the and next you time. You just can't be attached. You can't like yeah. hold it with you. You have to let it go. Yeah. If you had a billboard over I do have I-70. a billboard. You do? It's not on I-70. If it was on I-70, what would it say? If you wanted to get one message out to a whole bunch of people. I don't know. It's just our picture on the billboard. So I didn't actually think <laughs> about what. But it's coming down from Monarch and Poncha. Oh, I love visit, it. I love visit it. my billboard. drive up Monarch house today. <laughs> um, what would it say? I think it would say... Be nice to everyone. Yeah, that's a great <laughs> just, piece. Like, you just don't know. And I, in the service industry, uh, we take a lot of shit from a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm. If people were just nicer, the world would be a better place. I think everyone just be nice. Everyone should work in the in the restaurant industry. Yeah. For one, it doesn't even have to be a full year. It just should be a rite of passage. I think the billboard would say just like, don't be an asshole. Yeah. I think that's a good one. Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. Yeah. yeah. I think it would I think that's what it would say. Yeah, I think that's a great just piece of advice. My, yeah. Just think about it real cuz you like generally you think about things that come out of your mouth before you say them. Just think real quick about not being an one asshole. split second. Yeah. And then you could make you could like change someone's life. Mm. Some of the worst people I ever met was when I was waiting tables in college. Yep. (laughs) Believe it or not, at Chili's. But it was just, I mean, people were awful. Mm -hmm. And it made me, I mean, whenever we go to restaurants, Mike told me that one of the things he loved most about me when we first met was every time we were at a restaurant, 
I would ask the server what their name was. And, and Mike was like, why? Your heart. Mike was like, why do you, why do you, he was like, I love that you do it, but why? And I'm like, because it's a real person. Like yeah. they're not here. Like I, 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 I hated how I was treated and the people who asked me my name and genuinely cared. And it wasn't so that they could yell at me later or like yell for me across the room when yeah. they needed something. Um, it just, it made my whole evening when somebody cared to know what my name was, what I was studying in school, mm-hmm. where I was from. And it just made, it made everything better. It makes everything better. Even when people like say thank you before they walk away. Mm-hmm. I mean, most people don't do that. Yeah. It is really a really nice moment when you have that exchange with someone and you can say thank you and you're welcome and like make eye contact. And then they, you both move on to your next part yeah, of your day. It, absolutely. So I wish more people did that. Thanks for yeah. asking. Oh yeah. Everybody's name. Yeah. I love it. It makes, <laughs> it makes me, I, I, I love learning people's names. Um, well, I feel like you already answered this last question. When was the last time you didn't feel like enough? Um, but, this morning mm-hmm. getting my children to school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, generally I feel not enough most of the time. Yeah. That's probably another mental health conversation. Yes. And it's hard to feel like you're enough when you're doing all the things, when you're taking care of a lot of different people and in a lot of different personalities and you're trying to keep up with a schedule. And stories, all people's stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. I mean, generally I feel like I'm not enough. 17 million times a day. Yeah, I totally hear you. And then I let it go and then I move on and I try harder. Yeah. Or I try the same amount. Or I stop trying and take a nap. I <laughs> just take a nap. Sometimes yeah. I, re- I really do think that's another piece of advice. I think naps are the most helpful thing on the planet. Yeah. If you are someone that can take a nap, take advantage of that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> a cat outside. Um, if you can take a nap for four hours, I i mean, if I can take a nap for four hours, I would take a nap. Yeah, I love that. I am i can't do power naps. Mike is like, can I have 10 minutes? I'm like, why? Aren't you going to be more tired? But if I can sleep for four hours, I'm good to go. If I can, I've gotten better at like a 20 minute nap, although I do feel sad after yeah. it ends. Like, I don't know if it makes it worse or better, but I'm learning to appreciate just laying down and closing my eyes. And if I can take a four-hour nap, I'd definitely choose that instead. Yeah, all day. Oh but like, my there's just not enough time to treat yourself to rest. That's my favorite. My bed is my favorite place. Yeah, mine too. My our bedroom is sacred. I don't. Yeah. I don't bring my phone in there. I don't I bring amazing. my laptop in. We do have a Peloton in there now, but that's purely out of that's like okay. not having space. But yeah, I mean, our bedroom is sacred to me. So it's I, the best place in the world. It is. Um, Sarah, where can people find out more about you and Rob? Find out about Hey Sweetie if they want to bring some home with them or yeah. order it. Where can people find you? So our restaurants are downtown Salida. Sweeties is on the corner of Sackett and G. We are on Instagram. We're on Facebook. You can find us on our website, sweetiesandsalida.com. You can, the biker and the baker is right on top of Sweeties, same corner. You can find us online at thebikerandthebaker.com. And then Hey Sweetie, you can purchase in both of our stores. You can purchase them at Howell, also downtown Salida, and the Mixing Bowl. And you can purchase them online as well at www.hey. 
HeySweetieBaking.com. I love it. We're going to put all the links in the show notes as well. That was a lot of That was a lot of URLs. Yeah. Well, you're a a busy woman running multiple wonderful businesses. Thank Um, you. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this with me, Sarah. This is so wonderful. This is wonderful. And we'll put um, all the ways to reach Sarah and her restaurants in the show notes. But thank you so much for being here today and listening. And I literally want to go get a sandwich right now. (laughs) ASAP as possible. Hopefully you they're not closing. What time do you guys close? Oh, you have 26 minutes. <gasps> I'm going now. All right. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you next time on the Fearless Vampire Podcast.